Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show for the weekend of July 3rd to the 5th, 2020. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hopefully everyone in America is enjoying or enjoyed their 4th of July holiday uh, and a special belated Happy Canada Day to our Northern brethren that helped make up the domestic box office market. Uh, you know, fun milestone, this is actually the 20th episode of the Box Office Watch podcast, so uh, if you've been listening along, thanks uh, for keeping it up. Here's to many, many more. Um, in any case, the big news this past weekend was, as I've mentioned many times before, uh, Hamilton premiering on Disney Plus this past weekend. Um, you know, the hit Broadway sensation. You know, I definitely watched it, and I know many of my friends did as well. Um, and yeah, it looks like it was pretty much a success for Disney all around. Uh, looking at some reports from mobile app download numbers, uh, there was a 74% increase in downloads of the Disney Plus app compared to uh, you know the past four weeks here in the U.S. Worldwide, that number looks to be about a 46% boost worldwide, which you know a one weekend boost in you know in the uh, you know uh, 40 to 70 percent range is you know nothing to sneeze at. Um, you know, and what's more, this doesn't include numbers from smart TVs or people who simply access uh, and sign up for an account through a browser. Um, now, some of these downloads and accounts may be people, you know, sharing logins um, or, you know, getting this Disney Plus for only one month, um, only to see Hamilton. Um, but, you know, some percentage of those people will turn over into longtime users. And, you know, Disney likely was able to get keep some users who may have otherwise left the platform, you know, staying at least a little bit longer with the announcement of Hamilton coming. So, um yeah, this is you know pretty much a, a win all around. Um, according to Gites Pandya of BoxOfficeGuru.com, it looks like this may end up being the largest weekend uh, audience in 2020 so far from a film, which is no small feat, and that includes both in theater and um, you know and and streaming. Uh, looking at some numbers for this, uh, the producers of the original Broadway play had spent uh, about $10 million or so um, filming you know, filming the show. Uh, they filmed it over three days. I believe it was a Sunday matinee as well as a Tuesday night performance. Plus, uh, you know, between shows, you know, getting the, the, the camera crew on stage for the close-ups. Um, so that's about $10 million all told. Um, they eventually sold the rights to Disney for $75 million. Um, you know, as was originally in the plan, this was going to come out uh, in October 2020. 21, um, you know, for a theatrical release and then eventually come to Disney Plus. Um, that said, obviously with the pandemic and, you know, them not being able to make any revenue from box office sales uh, on Broadway uh, for the theater production, um, you know, there probably was some back-end deals going on uh, with Disney to readjust the terms of the deal so that Disney would be able to get, you know, more subscribers to, to Disney Plus, uh, help beef up their, their library of content, um, and, you know, the Hamilton brand would stay relevant. Um, there's no currently announced plans, you know, for a set date on when this will come back to theaters again, though I imagine that they probably will do so. Um, yeah, the top, and in comparison, you know, the top grossing weekend this year so far, um, which is coincidentally another holiday weekend, the Martin Luther King Jr. weekend in January, um, Bad Boys for Life premiered to $73 million. Um, given all of the hype around Hamilton, um, you know, I could easily have seen, you know, them making $75 million, especially in the summer, if this were had released in theaters. Now, obviously, you know, there will be some things, you know, changing that around, but, you know, assuming an average ticket price of ten dollars you know about seven million viewers you know this this at least seven million viewers this weekend um 
you know, on streaming, you know, the much touted Trolls World Tour, they grossed 50 million in their first weekend reportedly um, on a $20 rental fee that works out to something like 2.5 million viewers. So, you know, Disney Plus has about 50%, 50 million viewers worldwide. So even if only 15% of viewers ended up watching that, that would still be the most gross film of all time. I'm fairly certain there's a significant portion, probably close to 50, if not more, you know, of Disney Plus users, uh, especially the new users were using, were watching Hamilton. Now, you know, again, granted, Hamilton is pretty long. It's almost two and a half hours long. So if this had come out in theaters, that probably would have reduced the number of sewings that would have been able to sew it, as well as the number of people who would have been willing to sit through a two and a half hour uh, deal. Um, and, you know, the number of people who are going to make the trek out to uh, a theater, even without, you know, the pandemic going on, uh, would be lower than people who would just pay $7, you know, to watch it at home any number of times, as is the case with Disney+. Plus. Uh, that said, there's definitely a market for films that are cultural phenomena out here. Um, you have, you know, crazy Hamill fans, uh, kind of like the people who are really a fan of Rent when it was on Broadway, who would go to see it, you know, multiple times, um, you know, lining up to get the cheap tickets. Um, and, you know, there are people who want, would want to go to see it for a communal experience, uh, kind of like going to see The Room or the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, I know I definitely, you know, if uh, Hamilton was to come back to theaters and it was safe to go back to theaters, I would definitely, you know, make it the priority to try I watch this again with an audience around me. Um, you know, one last interesting to, thing to note: it looks like Disney, you know, wasn't actually expecting Hamilton to do very well overseas, and you know, was very bullish on how it would do in the domestic market. And that kind of makes sense. You know, it's very tied to American history, features on American founding fathers. Um, so yeah, it would definitely make sense that this would skew toward the domestic market. Um, I'd be interested interested to see if other Broadway releases will translate over the streaming. I know Broadway HD, for example, does kind of this thing, and PBS also has a huge uh, you know, cat, uh, history of, of recording live performances, and PBS you know, also does the same thing. Um, you know, The most common request I've seen is for Book of Mormon to do this um, online, though personally, I'd love to see Town or maybe Dear Evan Hansen with the original cast. Um, though that being said, obviously, the Broadway producers need to make sure that they've kind of eked out all of the dollars that they can get from showing it, you know, uh, in theaters as opposed to doing it uh, straight to streaming. So who knows how long, what that what that kind of uh, business model looks like. Um, the pandemic definitely has made like a unique situation here. However, given that Disney does have a strong business in the Broadway scene, you know, the Frozen, you know, was going on until it closed due to the pandemic. And Lion King is, you know, I think the top grossing, uh, you know, Broadway film of all time, uh, play of all time. And obviously you have Aladdin and previously they had Mary Poppins and Beauty and the Beast. I think Tarzan as well and The Little Mermaid. So I could see Disney getting in there and that being a strategy, you know, that, that, that idea has legs. Anyway, speaking of, you know, going in person to see, you know, uh, theatrical experiences, uh, last week I had talked about the box office numbers for June 17th through 19th and how Jurassic Park and Jaws, both Steven Spielberg films, actually topped the box office, you know, a couple weekends ago uh, with about $517,000 each at the box office um, in the number one and two spot. Uh, I had wondered if the increase in COVID cases across the country would lead to a dip in the box office, and it seems that, that the numbers for the weekend 
weekend of June 24th to 26th kind of support that idea. Um, the top two films that weekend were 2016's Disney animated film Zootopia and 2012's Marvel's The Avenger, um, which is the first one in the in that series, um, with 280000 and $260,000 respectively. Um, so just about above, ha- a little bit more than half of what the prior week had made in ver- both the first and second place spots, um, suggesting that you know more theaters remain closed or closed down or people just weren't going to the theaters as often. Um, you know, open theaters, you know, they generally, it looked like it was about, about 1,100 theaters stayed open, about 300 of those being drive-ins who drive the majority of revenue. Um, that said, before the recording of this episode, I actually just saw we had numbers for this past holiday weekend, um, the 3rd through the 5th of July. Um, there was a bit of a rebound from the Zootopia Avengers weekend with uh, Ghostbusters uh, grossing $550,000. So, you know, even more uh, than the Jurassic Park and Jaws weekend did uh, over the three-day weekend for the number one spot. Um, this is actually the first time Ghostbusters has been number one at the box office in, uh, I believe, 36 years, uh, 1984. Uh, a bit, you know, a bit closer to the Zootopia numbers of uh, two hundred eighty thousand was, uh, you know, Jumanji's The Next Level, uh, which was, you know, number two film uh, had about three hundred thousand dollars. So, you know, overall the cumulative top ten, uh, you know, made a little bit less than the peak of the Jurassic Park Jaws. Um, but like that that weekend with Jurassic Park and Jaws on top, um, though Ghostbusters had a higher peak. But then overall, they were also a little bit above the uh, Zootopia and the Avengers weekend. So, you know, I think my guess would be that the holiday weekend, um, you know, had something to do with this. Uh, Maybe more people who, you know, were willing to go to the movie theater were willing to do so on a Friday when when they had work off. Um, you know, that being said, a lot of states have moved to uh, trying to slow down this particular wave and surge of COVID cases, um, which obviously has an effect on movie theaters. Uh, in Arizona, for, la- for example, last week, the governor asked that movie theaters, you know, be closed for the month of July. Um, and Governor Newsom of California did the same uh, in 19 counties throughout California, uh, including Los Angeles. Um, View movie theaters uh, in the United Kingdom pushed back the opening date to July. July um, and Hong Kong, you know, which recently reopened theaters, has seen a seventy percent drop, you know, versus last year. Um, you know, back to the states, you know, you know, uh, there was a Hollywood Reporter morning consult poll that saw only twenty percent of Americans said that they will likely go to the movie theater this month. Um, and you know, however, that number does increase a little bit when you look to you know, generally later in the year, if people would be willing to go back, the number is about one third of people saying they'd be willing to go back to movie theaters later this year at some point. You know, of course, you know, with distributors uh, pushing back the release dates of films such as Tenet and Mulan, which I've covered in past episodes, um, those films are coming out in August now. Uh, this kind of may work out for movie theaters since, you know, they already have limited attendance to not having any new films, you know, only barely managing to get, you know, 500000 for a single film across the entire country. Um, you know, and on top of the health crisis, they don't want to be saddled with the additional costs of keeping a theater open, you know, the electricity, uh, the staff, you know, the various, uh, you know, neat, uh, supplies they need to clean up and wipe down everything um, between screenings. So if theaters do have to close down for the next couple of weeks and maybe for, for the next month or so um, until things reopen up uh, for the August, you know, release dates, um, that may work out for movie theaters so that they don't have that operating cost because otherwise they would have a negative cla- cash flow um, in the business sense. Um 
you know, that said, distributors are also seeing costs, um, not just the exhibitors. Um, you know, the past few updates uh, for Tenant at Mulan, they've only been moving it out, you know, two weeks at a time. First, you know, for, for Tenant, July 17th to, you know, July 31st and now August 12th, that's like two weeks at a time. Now, I saw a report out there saying that, you know, Every time they push it back, it's about another two hundred thousand to four hundred thousand dollars in marketing they need to tack onto the overall marketing budget and respend to you know make up the new creatives and then I'll book another couple of dates for um, you know whatever online or on TV. Um, to try to market the film. So, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, you know, 200,000 to 400,000 when your, you know, uh, production budget was over $100 million, that's relatively small. Um, that said, if the delays, you know, are too last minute, um, you know, within that first two week period uh, when marketing is heaviest for films immediately before it releases, that could be up to $5 million for a last minute delay. So, you know, if we get within the August 1st to August 12th range and then Tenet decides they want to move, um, you know, that will cost them $5 million, which is relatively more, a lot more expensive than the two hundred to $400,000 quote we're seeing now. Um, you know, I'll also slip in here in news uh, on the distributor side and producer side of things, um, you know, that uh, Tom Hanks war film, Greyhound, uh, is coming to Apple TV Plus later this week on July 10th. Um, it seems that uh, the star of the film, Tom Hanks, uh, is not super happy with this. Um, while on the press junket, obviously, has to promote the film coming to Apple Plus, TV, uh, Apple TV Plus, um, he's worked on this film for over a decade. He was the producer, the writer, the lead actor. Um, the fact that it's coming to digital and not getting a big screen he's not really happy he kind of laments that uh specifically he said that because it's a big action war film um they put a lot of effort into making it look and sound great um watching it at home uh you know for pictures this picture and sound quality will be lesser compared to what you would get in theater so you know as a creator uh who has you know a particular vision for how a film will be seen yes he knows it's going to eventually be seen uh at in-home, you know, direct to streaming or on VOD or whatever, but to not get the chance to see it displayed in a big uh, theater is kind of disappointing for him. So, you know, frankly, it, for me, it's kind of refreshing to hear a big name celebrity not bow down to Apple, the Apple overlords and spout some sort of bull about, you know, oh, we're so thankful to Apple and their, you know, rev revolutionary technology to allow us to share this with the masses and to spread our vision. You know, Tom Hanks is telling it how it is. Um, he's, he's frankly is probably one of the few individuals who can given, you know, the weight of, of his name around Hollywood. Um, you know, I also find it kind of ironic that, you know, he was the first celebrity that really got caught COVID that, you know, threw Americans to be like, oh my God, this is really serious. And now he's the one, his film is the one that has to suffer the consequences of the lockdown. So in any case, here's the hoping that uh, Greyhound will get a re-release in theaters sometime in the future. All right. And all right. So to complete the Hollywood company trifecta alongside exhibitors and distributors are, of course, the production companies. Uh, production has been on hold for a while in Hollywood. And now studios are looking to getting the content machine back up and running. Obviously, you know, if you don't have stuff working on now, even when the when, you know, movie theaters open up again, uh, there's going to be a dearth of content down the line if nothing was produced now. Um, however, there is going to need to be strict hygiene and testing practices in place to so, slow down, you know, the potential spread. Um, and, you know, if, if Newsom shuts down production again, especially in Hollywood, it could all grind to a stop once more. Currently, reports show that it looks like things are up to about 20% uh, of normal operations in terms of what's going on in Hollywood right now. 
for example, the TV soap opera, uh, The Bold and the Beautiful, uh, had to pause production after w- just one day of being back on set because some cast members got you know false positives and so they had to readjust you know logistics to increase the number of testing on set. Um, so yeah, that that's just like an illustration of how you know the new the new reality is affecting uh, film and TV production. Um, I will be interested to see if production will materially shift from states that have a high number of COVID cases, you know, such as Florida or potentially Georgia, um, to states with relatively fewer cases, such as New York, which is more or less squashed the pandemic as of right now, at least. Um, we just opened up phase three of reopening, though, again, movie theaters don't have any plans on reopening, though it looks like, um, you know, the New York Film Commission is saying that, um, you know, maybe uh, August is looking a realistic date for things to open up here again. So I will be interested again i will be interested to see if in the states um we'll see production shift from the traditional uh centers of production to places that are more covid safe right um if you're a producer and you have a choice between two locations and one is covid safe you definitely would want your cast to be there as opposed to the riskier location um, in EU, you know, generally things are a little bit more under control, and various films are already starting up there. Uh, for example, Jurassic World Dominion is starting up production later this month in the UK. Uh, over in Australia, Marvel's Shang Chi is going to be opening up production this month as well. Um, you know, that being said, back in the states, you know, the production guilds have written letters to Congress asking for legislation to help the various jobs at risk due to the pandemic, uh, including you know various tax related, incentive related measures. Um, one of the guilds, SAG-AFTRA, which is the Screen Actors Guild, um, actually has put a do-not-work order on a film by Michael Bay, uh, produced, not directed, called Songbird. Uh, it's about a near-future world where uh, apparently the pandemic does not go away after a couple of years, and it's people coping with the pandemic uh, a little bit too close to home, Mr. Bay. Um, in any case, SAG-AFTRA did not tell the members to not work on the project because of the topic, but rather they said to not work on it because uh, the film production was not being transparent about their safety protocol. So, you know, the it's even if, you know, the government says, oh, it's totally, you're totally able to work to open up again. Um, I think ultimately it'll come down to the guilds and if the guilds feel that there's enough um, safety precautions in place to, you know, help see the industry return to some semblance of normalcy. In any case, uh, to wrap up this episode, given it was the July 4th weekend this past weekend, uh, we'll take a look at the top 10 films that released in the, you know, around July 4th um, and the best opening weekends of all time uh, for that for that date. Um, I'll give the domestic opening week uh, weekend numbers as well as the total domestic box office. I'll kind of ignore the, the international numbers for now. Um, unlike Memorial Day, which we covered in the past episode, uh, Memorial Day always happens on a Monday, but obviously July 4th is set to the specific date and not to, you know, the first or you know, last, you know, Monday of the or Friday of the year uh, of, of the month. Um, so these are just films that opened around the holiday. They may not actually have been on the July 4th holiday, but maybe they're immediately before on after, especially if uh, July 4th was on the weekday, right? Like a Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, so in first place, uh, we have 2006 Pirates of the Caribbean 2, Dead Man's Chest. This opened to $135 million domestic uh, and ultimately ended up with $423 million domestic. Uh, in second place, we have 2017's Spider-Man Homecoming, $117 million uh, opening weekend, $334 million uh, uh, by the end of its run. 2000, number three had 2011's Transformers 3, Dark of the Moon, $97 million opening, $352 million uh, 
all t- uh, for domestic box office run. Uh, number fourth was actually last year's uh, 2019 uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home, uh, 92 million dollars opening weekend, 390 million dollars domestic. Um, we have another Spider-Man movie in number in the fifth place. Uh, this is 2004 Spider-Man 2, uh, the Tobey Maguire film, um, pot- potentially the best Spider-Man film, as some might say. Um, 88 million dollars opening weekend, op- eventually hit 373 million dollars worldwide. Uh, this is definitely one of the films that you know helped launch the superhero boom um, that, that comes shortly after. Uh, in sixth place, we have 2013's Despicable Me 2. Uh, this is uh, $84 million opening, $368 million domestic. Um, number seven had 2018's Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, $75 million domestic opening weekend, $260 million domestic. Uh, in eighth place, uh, we have 2007's Transformers, uh, the very first one. Um, that was $70 million opening weekend, $319 million worldwide or domestic. Uh, in ninth place, we have 2005's War of the Worlds, which I actually don't remember that film. Uh, $64 million opening weekend, $234 million domestic. And then finally, in 10th place, we have 2010's Twilight Saga Eclipse, or Twilight Saga Eclipse, which is the third film in the franchise. $65 million opening, $300 million worldwide, or sorry, domestic. Um, so kind of, you know, the common themes, uh, aside from Twilight, uh, Despicable Me, and Pirates of the Caribbean, it's a lot of Spider-Man and a lot of Transformers, and, you know, maybe you might want to go with maybe more broadly insect superheroes, you know, Ant-Man and the Wasp, or maybe aliens in general, uh, War of the World. <gasps> if you look at, you know, uh, 11th through 15th, uh, 11th place was 2008's Hancock. Um, 2012's uh, Amazing Spider-Man was uh, number 12 with uh, Adam, uh, Andrew Garfield. Um, and then uh, Men in Black 1 and 2 were both uh, 13th and 14th. I believe number 2 did a little bit better. Um, and then Independence Day uh, is 15th. So, you know, actually, if you adjust for inflation, uh, the appropriately named Independence Day uh, with Will Smith is the fifth, high, fifth highest uh, July 4th uh, film of all time. Um, and yeah, it's definitely a Spider-Man, Will Smith, Alien uh, insect superhero movie. So, you know, if you want to create the ultimate uh, Independence Day release film, it looks like it's going to be a Men in Black crossover with Spider-Man, perhaps. Uh, maybe throw in the Ant and the Ant-Man and the Wasp there. Um, maybe Peter Parker and Agent J team up to help the uh, Transformers fight off an alien invasion in biplanes, of course. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, kind of the history of the July 4th uh, holiday weekend. Um you know, I, I'm going to wrap things up, you know, again, I haven't listened for a couple of weeks, but I'll, I'll talk about what I've been watching lately. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, obviously it's Hamilton. Um, you know, Broadway's closed until January, as I mentioned last week, and I won't be able to enter the Daily Lottery for $10 ticket. So I definitely hopped on this. Um, I actually made it a point to not listen uh, to the soundtrack before watching this because um, I tend to like to watch, uh, you know, Broadway shows and hear the score for the first time there. Um, you know, since then, though, I have been, like, kind of binging and listening to the songs on repeat, watching YouTube videos of the cast, even the Hamilton mixtape, uh, which is pretty great. Um, you know, it, it was definitely quite the experience. Um, I can definitely see myself going back. Again, like I said, I, I can see myself going back to theaters to see it. When it comes out in theaters, maybe a sing-along with the audience would be pretty cool. 
Um, I'm going to say that while Lafayette and Jefferson's character, uh, actor, uh, David Diggs, definitely had the best flow of anyone in the show, um, I got to give it up, give it up for my man John, Jonathan Grofe, uh for his portrayal of King George. Uh, something about how much energy and spittle he put into his facials um, on the take on, and his very flamboyant take on King George III um, just made him my favorite part of the show. Um, and, you know, in a show where there are many amazing parts, his definitely stood out. Um, I'll also definitely recommend check out Weird Al Yankovic's um, Hamilton Polka. Uh, he made actually a little video taking clips from the uh, from the Disney Plus show uh, and putting it in time with his version of it. So, uh, well done, Lin Manuel Miranda. Well done. I'm definitely looking forward to when his other film, uh, In the Heights, comes out uh, sometime summer next year. In any case, uh, that'll be a wrap on this episode. Uh, if you have any feedback or suggestions for box office concepts for me to cover, uh, send me an email at boxofficewatchpodcast at zemo.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. Uh, if you can leave a review there or you know maybe on podchaser.com, that would be super helpful. I'll include links to those in the show notes. Uh, numbers used in the show come from thenumbers.com. Our intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watts Podcast. And remember, our watch goes on. Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs>